the goal is to walk up to the machine with everything you need and not leave the machine until you have a fully good part in your hand. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's show, we're talking about how to set up machine tools efficiently. Our guest is Paul Van Meter, founder of ProShop ERP. Paul says that using a few best practices guided by ProShop's paperless shop management system can reduce a machine setup time up to 50%. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graphpinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to have Paul Van Meter, founder of ProShop ERP in Bellingham, Washington. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, Noah. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Today, we are talking about the ERP system and setup time, a specific topic and how an ERP can do that. We'll get a little differentiation between some different ERP systems too, but it's still a newer thing for me. I know I've talked to quite a few people now on the podcast that have mentioned it, and now I want to delve deeper into it. So... First, I just want to talk a little bit about ProShop and an ERP and get, you know, get your five minute life story. And then um, (laughs) we're going to, we're going to jump into setting up a machine, which everybody, 95% of the people listening to this podcast would care about. Right. Yeah. Do it or care about it. Yeah. 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 He's a stakeholder stakeholder in machine setups. Maybe 80% of the people, but uh, a good amount. So first of all, Paul, tell us a little bit about ProShop, the story. And uh, and I know that that's sort of wrapped around your own personal story. Give us the spin. Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess it started way back. I I started in college going to an engineering program, uh, mechanical engineering, which I found pretty dry and kind of boring to be honest. And so I uh, just happened to run across an article about this more hands-on kind of manufacturing engineering based program out here in Washington state. Cause I actually grew up on the East coast uh, near New York city. Oh, okay. And anyway, so I came out to this program, absolutely fell in love with it. For those that might be listening, it was heavily uh, into the formula SAE um, competition so I don't know if you've heard of that yourself, but it's a, it's a engineering competition hosted by SAE society of automotive engineers and, and dozens and dozens of uh, engineering schools and, and colleges. Is that the around. autonomous car thing? 
No, that one's not. They, they hold a few different types of competitions. This one is basically designing and building a small race car. And, uh, and then you go compete against other colleges and universities and wow. lived and breathed it for three years. Absolutely loved it. And, uh, but fell in love with machining and manufacturing during the same time. And my partners in the, in, on the team, we decided to start a machine shop right out of college rather than going our separate ways. And so, uh, one of my partners, guys on the team, he was actually, he'd come back to school. He was a little bit older. Uh, he owned a house, which most college students don't own, but he was, he owned a house and had that house had enough equity to take out a second mortgage, which was enough money to buy a Haas VF4 and start paying a few months of rent and a manual mill and a lathe. And so that's what we did. He took out that second mortgage. We started our company basically straight out of college. Wow. Very cool. Started knocking on doors and trying to find work. I see. And for the first few years, you were kind of old school, didn't have any, any like official set automated system, correct? We used Excel to make basically our job routers and travelers. We didn't, we didn't make them and print them. We made them and kept them digital because we put a, well, when we started, we had one machine. So we put a computer right next to the machine. And then as we added more machines, we would put a computer next to each of those machines also. And so when someone was at a machine, they would just open up Excel, open up the workbook for that work order. Um, but we would have different tabs on the workbook for the job router, for our inspection process, for our tool list, for our setup notes, you know. Oh, and when was that? How long ago? Uh, we started that company in 97. Okay. So, so for the first three years, we used Excel. And even though it was 1997, computers were fast enough to do that. I mean, it's just oh, sure, Excel, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. They were like 486s or Pentium. Yeah. Know, first 486. Pentium <laughs> so, uh, so then what was the catalyst that made you go, all right, we can do better than this. Let's come up with a system. It was just out of, out of desperation and need. So as we, so when we were about three years old, we had probably a dozen employees and maybe five or six machines at that time. And Excel was just not keeping up. Right. It was just, you know, job shops are so dynamic. Um, always revs are changing and think people are needing to do stuff and we're needing to like make edits to the same workbook at the same time. And you can't cause someone else is using it. And so we started um, just doing research uh, on, on ERP software, shop management software. Okay. And you know, early days of the internet, this was 2000. So we were three years old. And uh, I think we mostly looked in like the Thomas register, the big set of green books, yeah. you know, we pulled that down off the shelf and uh, started looking through the software categories. That's kind of ironic looking in the Thomas <laughs> register for software. Yeah, it is a little ironic. You weren't Googling it. Google wasn't powerful <laughs> enough or Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it was back then. Yeah. What was the, the ask Jeeves or, you know, there oh, was yeah. <laughs> I like anyway. ask Jeeves. so yeah, we, we had some software companies come and give us demos, you know, their salespeople physically traveled to our location and uh, gave us demos. And we, you know, knowing nothing about ERP, right. Keep in mind, we're straight out of college, straight into business. And we were not business people. We were all engineer type people. So we had no idea uh, even what we were looking at. So, you know, we were excited when we would, they bring them in and we'd say, all right, 
cool. Show us, you know, show us how you, how your system works. And they'd start showing us, you know, how to put in orders and how to make estimates and how to make invoices. And we're like, okay, that's great. And show us how you manage the shop floor. Show us your work instructions, show us your inspection sheets. And they were all, all of them. We're like, no, we don't do that. Ah. And we're like, wait a minute. I thought you have special software for running a machine shop. So this was the stuff for the office. It was the stuff for the office, but not, which is important, but it is, of course you got to run the office organized, but what makes money in a manufacturing company? Uh, I, I mean, I guess machines, machines mm-hmm. make money. Yeah. I mean, you got to bring the business in with your salespeople and the, the office, but it's the actual, in a scene, in a machine shop, it's the machines, it's the making chips that makes you the money. I guess it's kind of like a sports team where the management would say the management wins. <laughs> the athletes would say, no, we're, we're responsible for it. But sure. yeah, and it, it is a team, you know, it requires all the parts working together to, to work well, but, um, but ultimately it's the machines that make you the money. And so mm-hmm. we were kind of flabbergasted when none of the software that's designed for shop management actually did shop management. Sure. We were like, Hmm. So if we buy one of your softwares, then we'll be kind of going backwards in functionality compared to what we're doing in Excel. And they're designed to be paper-based. So you're supposed to print off the job routers once you've put them in the office. It was less productive than Excel? We sure thought so. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, they were designed to print paper routers And then when the inevitable changes came from the customer on rev or due date or quantity or anything, you'd have to go find the router, you know, replace it, print a new one, mark it up with, with a pen, something. Right. Okay. And we were just like, this is crazy. We're not going to do this. Um, So we started looking and we hired a software developer instead to just build something for ourselves. Okay. So then how long did it take to come up with something that was useful? Pretty quick, huh? It was within the first year that we had, you know, six, nine months. I don't remember exactly where we had the basics of a system that would allow us to make work orders and keep track of the things that we needed to keep track of. But it was, you know, it was definitely bare bones at the beginning for sure. Right. Right. Okay. And then fast forward, uh, like what, 14 years and then not quite that far yet. So, um, fast forward about eight years. Okay. Our biggest machine shop customer, this was right around 2008 and the slowdown there. Mm. So our biggest machine shop customer, they were a little slow. And so their production manager came and worked for us on Fridays because um, they were running a 410 shift or something and he wanted to earn some extra money. And and so he came and worked for us, just setting up machines, running machines. And, uh, and he used ProShop, of course, to do all that. So he'd, he'd go to set up a job. He'd pull up the work instructions in ProShop. He'd set up the job. He'd do his first article buy-off in ProShop. Then he'd run parts in ProShop and track his in-process inspection and all his work instructions. And so he was loving it. And he went back to the owners of his company and he said, you guys have got to see the system they're using. Now you hadn't sold it. You hadn't sold it to anybody. You were, it was just something you were using for yourself. Yeah. We had no intentions of selling it to anybody. Did you consider it like your unfair advantage to beat the competition or you just, yeah, (laughs) certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it took us a few years to understand 
you know, and it was very organic, you know, over those eight years we started, you know, we got ISO certified in 2004. So we built all the modules for managing ISO. We got AS9100 certified in 2006. So we added a bunch more functionality that's required by AS9100, um, you know, which is the aerospace standard, uh, mm -hmm. quality standard. Um, so yeah, I mean, kind of organic, I guess, you know, but yeah, we knew it was certainly helping us grow and scale very quickly. We were growing a lot in those years and uh, keeping it all pretty manageable. Um, anyway, so they approached us and said, hey, we'd like you to sell us Pro Shop. And we were like, no. <laughs> you know, this, is, we'll this, is our, this, for you. this is part of our secret sauce. We don't want to. And we're not a software company. I don't, we don't know how to do that, you know. Um, anyway, they convinced us. We decided, sure, let's give it a try. And uh, did they pay you for it? They did. Yep. Okay. And, uh, it was, none of us expected how big an improvement it was going to make for them. Like it was dramatic. It was dramatic. What company was this or what kind of company? Their name is South Aeromarine. They're, uh, an aerospace OEM manufacturer of interior galley components and cabinet latches and other interior aircraft hardware. Wow. Okay. So they had their own internal machine shop and a big assembly shop because almost every, all their products are fully assembled, you know, components. But then they outsourced a lot of machining work to companies like ours. Okay. Anyway, so they had about 35 people at the time and, uh, you know, the typical distribution of overhead staff and then a bunch of manufacturing staff. Probably a little heavier on the office side because they also had design engineers that would design all their hardware, you know, and new parts. But they freed up three overhead people within the first few months of putting pro shop in. Yeah. They feed up two full-time expediters and a full-time planning position that they just didn't need doing those things anymore. Did they fire those people or did they just sort of repurpose? No, they, they incorporated them in, they repurposed them into more value added roles. That makes total sense. They were still growing. And then, you know, they had, they had a perpetual late order list that was like six pages long for many reasons. They had some very crazy super long outside process lead times, um, you know, 12 weeks to get a special gold plated brush finish on this custom latch that would go into a corporate jet kind of a thing. And some of those would still, they're always late because they just, the outside processing was also always so long, but they basically pared down that list down to, you know, half a dozen, you know, items within the first few months. Okay. So you changed their life. So then you sold it to a few other people they started asking, they asked us, could we, could we introduce you to some of our other machine shop vendors? Uh, your sounds like a, your competitors. sounds like a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it kind of does. No, it was other vendors <laughs> that made machined parts for them that were always late or always had quality problems. And so we're like, well, that's our competition, but sure, let's go for it. So we yeah. sold it a couple more times, also with great success. And it was through that period of time where we're like, we thought to ourselves, you know what, guys, I think we have a, a cool opportunity here to, to help the industry and have a pretty neat business. So, so what is your, your first love? Are you more now into the, the software versus making parts or was it just kind of nice movement in your life to do something different? Do you miss being in front of a machine? I don't even know if you were in front of a machine, but do you man it? Do you miss the production process? <laughs> I do. Certainly. It was fun to, take raw materials and make finished parts and see the beautiful craftsmanship of it. But, um, but no, the thing I've realized that I love the most is helping other companies improve. 
Right. They just absolutely could do that all day, every day, solving their problems. That's got to give you tremendous purpose. It absolutely does. And I think specifically serving the machine shop business or job shops, fabrication shops, they are really the kind of foundation level of our economy because every product, you know, looking behind you, the, the filing cabinet, those binders, the microphone you're using, all of those products started with machining and yeah. fabrication and welding and sheet metal. And, and so helping those companies thrive is crucially important. Well, this microphone I'm using, I'm sure most of it was made in China or Asia or something likely. So very likely. Yes. Are they using ERP systems there? You think uh, the, the more sophisticated companies are, they're not using yours yet. No, no, we don't sell in China, but yeah, the more sophisticated companies are certainly using ERP. Wow. Very interesting. And then, so four years ago you started uh, just going straight up. Yep. Okay. In 2016, we turned on a website and started looking for customers. Today, I want to just get specific into something practical. Hopefully people, it can at least be the germ of something people can use. And mm -hmm. that is setting up a machine. Now you, uh, when we were talking before this interview, you said something like 50%, uh, you could cut a setup time possibly, um, mm -hmm. on a machine. Yeah. So yeah. tell me how that would be possible. Sure. Well, let's start by looking at what many, and, and that number is highly variable based on how sure. sophisticated a shop starts out as, you know, and you see everything under the sun, quite honestly. Right. It's different kinds of machines. I mean, you might have oh, yeah. something really fancy. You might have a lathe or a fab machine or something. Yeah. But so I'm, I'm talking primarily CNC machines, you know, lathes, vertical mills, horizontal mills, five axis mills, um, Swiss machines. What about it? Like a cam multi-spindle screw machine or something like that? Absolutely. Same principle. Still, still applies. Still. Yeah. The principles apply. Okay. Um, okay. And so the, the biggest variable in how much time there is to save is what companies are doing today, right? What they're starting with. And so, and, and I want to also uh, when people talk about setup time, there's a couple of different things they could be talking about. They could be talking about how long it takes you when you walk up to a machine and start setting up the job you're supposed to set up until you have your first good part bought off by quality and you're starting to actually run production. Okay. That's what I think of when I think of setup, getting yeah. this machine to do what you need it to do and starting from sort of a blank canvas. Right. But there's some, work that happens before that. Well, there's lots of work that obviously happens before that, but even on the machine itself in a lot of shops setup starts with tearing down the last job. Right. Cause you got a lot of tooling to take out. Yeah. And yep. And we think that the breakdown of the last job needs to be associated with the last job, not with the setup of your next job. Okay. Right? So the canvas so is clean. The canvas is clean which could mean you've cleared out all the tools or it could mean you've just cleared out the ones that you need to clear out and the ones you still need are going to be left in the machine. Okay. If you have common, you know, a shared common tool libraries that you use for basic stuff, and then you have some specialty tools to add for specific part numbers and jobs. And I'm sure your process could also speed up the clearing the canvas. 
aspect as well. Could go either way. I mean, we, we have tools to document and outline the, the breakdown process. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So you're walking up to your, say your star sliding headstock mm-hmm. and you got a new job, pretty intricate part. And, uh, you're the setup guy and now it's like, all right, how is pro shop, um, or using an ERP system or the principles of an ERP system? How is this going to cut my setup time? Well, most ERP systems won't help with that because they don't get involved in that part of the process as we kind of talked a little bit about earlier, right? They help in the office and then you print your job router and that's what goes to the, to the machine. But there are a few competitors that, that are, that we have that are, that are kind of similar. I mean, yes, but they, most of them, vast majority of them still don't get involved in the manufacturing process. Really? Okay. Yeah. So the ones that we were researching back in 2000, those ones are still the primary most widely used ones and they still do not get involved in the manufacturing process today. What are those? I mean, you don't have to name them, but I, I... well, the two I'll, I'll name them cause they're the most widely used and sure. all shops know them. Um, job boss and E2. Okay. And they aren't would probably be our two biggest competitors and they're not so much on the floor like you, or are they not on the floor at all? They're on the floor in a very small way where they can track time. So you can track time on jobs and you can say what you've finished. Like I've finished a hundred parts off the mill and okay. it took me four hours. So that's the, the level of interaction that they would typically have. Okay. But as far as helping you do that setup and knowing what tools to be using and having a checklist or any of those other things that could be useful, they just don't get involved in that. Okay. So you have pro shop, it's helping you organize or you don't have pro shop, but you want to at least think well, yeah, about these aspects. Sure. I want to start kind of painting the picture of what it, and maybe this is a little bit of a worst case scenario. Okay. Someone walks up to a machine with a print or with a job router and they're like, okay, I have to set up this machine. And then they go and they find the material they need and they go look through the tool. They have a, they probably have a tool list from their cam system and they start go retrieving cutting tools. Right. And then they load them up into holders and they do all this stuff. And then they start proving out their, they load up their G code. They start, proving out the part. They, um, might do some inspection on a paper form, right. Documenting, Hey, this three inch dimension is plus or minus five thousandths. And I, I'm within two. So, you know, they do all that stuff. Right. And then they send it in the quality department and they buy it off and then they finally get approval to run production. But what often happens is when that person walks up to that machine, one of the first things they do is they leave, they leave the machine again to go find things. Ah, that's one of the killers. I remember machine metrics was talking about that too, that that sure. was one of the big culprits. Oh yeah. It's huge. It's super huge. So they don't have their stuff ready and then yeah, they're going to have to go and get something else or go to the bathroom or, and they get distracted on the way to the tool crib and they start talking to their buddy about, you know, whatever. Or solving another problem that somebody else is having. Yeah. Hey, yeah, exactly. Can you take a look at this with me? So what our goal is that everything, and by the way, the worst case is they go to find a tool and they don't, they don't have the tool in the company. <laughs> UPS makes so much money off of machine shops that overnight tools in it's crazy. 
Um, so constantly overnighting tools, overnighting a special thread gauge you thought you might have, but you don't have or whatever. You just didn't even think about it. And so, and that's even, so your machine is now sitting all night, all the rest of your day until UPS comes, you know, you probably got it early AM mm. delivery. So just so you can start back up first thing in the morning. We can totally relate here. <laughs> okay. So first step is having everything there ready don't have to be ordering anything at all. You're not going to have to get up. You're not going to have to order, period. Right. The goal is to walk up to the machine with everything you need and not leave the machine until you have a fully good part in your hand. And the, having the tools ready is the first thing. Yep. And then having really good work instructions. That's the other key component. You know, a lot of uh, setup sheets have a tool list and some basic descriptions from the programmer about, you know, the zero is in this upper right corner and it's on the surface of the stock, or in your case, you know, it's obviously it's center of the, you know, center of the, of the material and on the face of the bar or where, you know, wherever it is, Sure, sure. but there's just text, right. Um, and there's a lot of interpretation very likely there. So you're talking about blueprints and well, it gets to that. I mean, the work instructions is usually a paper document that's, created by the programming department, okay. right? That's some standalone thing unrelated to the ERP system. And okay. it might be, hopefully it's at the right revision level of what they're making. Could be the, you know, could, you know, oftentimes when you have a paper-based system, shops will put, you know, their paper documents into a file folder or into a sleeve, a paper clear plastic sleeve, right? And then at the end of the job, it goes into a filing cabinet, hopefully complete. And then, Next time you get the same job again, if it's a repeat job, you pull that do that package out and send it back out to the shop. But you could have, you know, pages and pages of, of scribbled notes and possibly old revision drawings and old revision work instructions. So it's definitely possible and likely in many cases that you might be working off of old information. Okay. So the first step is to have your stuff together, have the, the, the tools all laid out, have it ready. And then all the tooling is ordered because you've already looked at, you know, the plants. Okay. Yep. And that is to prevent one of the things to prevent getting up from the machine. Yep. Okay. Next step. Or, or making the wrong part or the old rev part. Like that's the worst, right? Oh Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about a waste of time. And then you got to rewind. Yeah. You got to do it all over again. Anyway, so super logical, like just pretty basic concepts, but still a very big challenge for a lot of shops, partly because their software doesn't support that at all. And so with your system, you wouldn't be getting a sheet. You'd be getting it all like sent via computer on the cloud. Yeah. You'd have a computer or some kind of device um, tablet or something, um, right there mounted at the machine, or maybe you bring it over on a laptop, you know, it just depends, but yes, a, a device that you're getting everything from, it's got your tool list. It's got your work instructions, which could be videos and photos, obviously. Right. And that's one of the things that you guys, that's like another value, another, uh, feature you guys do, right. That you're into having video and, other sort of media to guide. Yeah. Rich, rich media work instructions. Yeah. I, my assumption is you don't have this yet, but are you planning to like integrate it with the PLC on a machine? We are. Yeah. That'll be yeah. really cool. It will be. Yeah. I can't wait. 
Yeah, we plan on doing that both natively as well as integrating with other systems like machine metrics or yeah. FactoryWiz or, you know, some of those, um, those uh, IoT kind of platforms um, through an API. Uh, okay, so we got having all the stuff ready, having the plans ready, making sure people do it right and making sure people don't leave the machine. Mm-hmm. And then... Anything else? I, I remember we were talking before and I really like this analogy or metaphor. You said uh, you don't want every setup to be a home cooked meal. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's, yeah. When you don't have everything ready, it starts to become a home cooked meal. And then if you have tribal knowledge, right. Um, you know, Joe is the guy that normally sets this job up, but he's gone or sick or retired or whatever. So someone else is trying to figure it out from scratch and they don't know the history of it. And they're trying to look through the paper notes and they're trying to look through the G code to see what it says and where, you know, and that's really when it becomes kind of, or has the potential to really go off the rails in terms of how much time it's taking to kind of figure it all out again. And you think it could have that much, uh, just doing these really simple things could make that much difference that 50% you think. Oh yeah. I mean, clients tell us all the time, our setup times are cut in half. And they're probably right more often. Well, I guess that cuts. Oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. First part yield definitely higher, you know, cause there's more, you know, there's more nuances to, to all this, but, um, but yeah, the things that you need to do to make sure, you know, hopefully get your first part off as a good part or at least a lot closer. So you're only dialing in a few tolerances a little bit here and there. Uh, and so then the next kind of step would be okay. to actually do the inspection. Right? Uh, yes. your first part, your first part buy off your first article inspection. And you can do that right in pro shop. And most ERPs don't do that. It's up to you to do it on paper, do it in Excel, some other database. Um, and we disintegrate it. But the person in the quality room is using pro shop or can the person at the machine check it because they have both. Yeah. I mean, in our shop, the way we did it in our shop was, the setup person would certainly be qualified enough to check their own work. Yeah. So they were trained to a high enough level through our training module to do that. And um, that was documented for QMS purposes. So when an auditor comes and says, how do you know this person is able to do quality verification or inspections, you can show the training records right there. But, but yeah, so usually the, the setup person will check their own work, um, put their results into that sort of first column of, inspection results. ProShop will analyze the results as they put them in to tell them if they're good, close to the limit or bad. Um, and then possibly make NCRs, non-conformance reports if that's necessary. Um, but then once they feel like they have a good part, then they can submit it into the quality department or have a peer come do a double check with them. So that that's really up to subjectivity of the shop and how complex their parts are, how t- how skilled their 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 setup people are, and just what their formal process, documented process is. Again, normally they would possibly do that on paper or some other you know spreadsheet. And with our clients, they do it right in ProShop, and and uh, the inspection department can see that they have some inspections they need to do, and it's uh, it's all just kept in one system. Are these all of the aspects that come to mind when you think of chopping the setup time or is there, is there anything else? Yeah, there's more. Wait, there's more. Okay. There is more. Um, so a big part of hopefully every shop is continuous improvement. Okay. Right. You have 
a job that you set up a certain way, you know, you have this G code that runs the part in so many minutes or seconds. Right. And, but there's almost always opportunity to improve it. Um, so one of the key features we have is what we call process development. And basically it allows machinists to document process improvement ideas and flag their planning department, create action items from that, assign them to people. Oh, you know, here's an idea to, to reduce the setup by making a new fixture, right. Or a certain jig or something. And so, okay, great. We're going to do that. We're going to assign that to Mary and Bob's going to also look at this aspect of things. Because you're saying that the person on the machine is able to see things that the person that the engineer isn't. Right. Cause they're right there in the process. They see it clearly. Here's something that's low hanging fruit that if we did this, we could save 10% right. of our cycle time. So it goes right. back in the cloud with that data and then all the communication makes things streamlined. Yep. And it's all in one place. You can go back later and look at what you did. Um, or you can decide, you know, this is a great idea, but we're not going to implement it on this work order because we're already almost done. Let's do it next time. And if you leave items outstanding, then it'll push up, will automatically flag you the next time you get an order that, Hey, last time we decided we were going to do this thing. Right. And so then you could send it back through your manufacturing planning department, make a new fixture, change the G code, reprogram it, whatever it is that you're going to do and improve that process for next time. Right. And it checks to make sure somebody isn't just saying, "Eh, screw it. I don't feel like doing it that way. Right. I mean, you could say the ROI on this improvement idea is not great enough to be worth doing. Yeah. Right. We could save, you know, five seconds of machine time, but we're only making a hundred parts. So what's the point in spending an hour to try to do that? Right. So yeah, that could certainly be one of the resolutions not worth doing. Right. Right. But it's right in front of you because of the whole automation. A couple more questions. Um, What was one of the most interesting things you learned last week? Last week, uh, interesting question. I almost have to look at my calendar. Or this week. I mean, it could have been today, yesterday, recently. Yeah, recently. That's interesting. Put me on the spot. I've been doing a lot of personal development stuff, but that's totally unrelated to. It doesn't uh, have to be. It could be totally. It could be you just saw an interesting movie, or you know, like you had a an epiphany about something, whatever. Well, it's been in the news, the forest fires on the West coast. Um, and so we did the math ourselves and realized that about 6% of all the forests in California, Washington, and Oregon have burned this year within the last few weeks. Oh my God. That's a crazy number. What was it last year? Was it worse? It was way, way smaller. I think in California, like last year was way, way smaller. Yeah. I think they said there's been like 20 times greater acreage of fires burned this year than, than before. Do you have anything else um, you want to say to the world? Um, I think, I mean, like I said, we might do another one of these in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about setup. I mean, that's, there's a lot of, hopefully some interesting stuff there. A lot of it's very logical. You can do most of it without specialized software. If you just think about it and put some, some systems in place. But I guess the key takeaway is that many shops that I talk with think that it's not worth doing the upfront work, that it's just too expensive to, you know, document things more thoroughly, 
or do your inspection plan ahead of time, right? A lot of them start looking at their inspection plan right when they're ready to inspect the part, yeah. right? Um, so just the concept of put in the work up front, you know, develop repeatable processes that can eliminate firefighting in the back end. Speaking of fires, um, yeah, you know, a little bit of upfront work will have huge ROI on your time on, you know, the back end of the process. From today's machining world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.